Welcome to our continuing series of reflections on the book of Proverbs this summer. My name is Dr. Arnold Neufeld Fast, and I am the seminary's academic dean and associate professor of theology here at Tyndale. To begin, I want to thank George Sweetman, Dean of Students, for the invitation to speak on a favorite proverb. A favorite is something preferred above all others, regarded with special liking. Over the years, my daughter would often ask, Hey, Daddy, what's your favorite color, or your favorite fruit, or your favorite cheese? She knows I'm really lousy with that kind of question. It all depends. But it didn't take me long to identify my favorite proverb. It is the prayer of Agur, son of J.K. A good friend of mine, Brian Moyer Suderman, put this prayer to music in his 2008 CD, My Money Talks, Songs for Worship. Until then, I'd never really paid much attention to this prayer, but it is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. It is sleek, it is simple, and Agur asks for only two things. It's a serious prayer, though. His petition isn't simply for any two things, for this or that immediate need or fear, but it somehow covers the whole of life. The prayer is found in chapter 30 of Proverbs, verses 7 to 9. And I, and I will read the text. Quote, Two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily allotted bread lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is Yahweh? Or lest I be poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. Now, if this is my favorite text in Proverbs, I need to tell you why. And that answer is bound to be biographical. I have prayed for many things in good times and in bad. And I have done some very hard things, like bury our stillborn child in 2000, and officiate at the funeral of my 18-year-old nephew who died unexpectedly three years ago. I never want to face events like these again. Yet in those events, God has proven to be like a parent in his compassion and in his guidance someone who can be trusted and called upon. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I've, in a short period of time, of course, reviewed my own life's joys and sorrows and temptations. And when I think of those together with my experiences as part of my own faith community, the Mennonite Church, Agur's prayer strikes me as a needed lesson in humility. It's profoundly realistic. Somehow that prayer grasps the truth of God's universal sovereignty, God's love, and God's concern for humanity. And I would argue it encompasses what I need to pray for the totality of how I want to live my life as a follower of Jesus. And it gives a lens for God's people to understand their past and also to inform a vision for the future of the church.
all in three verses. Um, let me unpack that a little bit. And it begins with some storytelling from my broader family and faith background. Stories which, uh, in the end, I believe, bear out the truth of this proverb and give me, give us, one more reason to recommend this prayer uh, for our generation and for another generation of people seeking to be faithful. So, a little background. In the last six months in particular, I have thought much about the people of Ukraine. For 150 years or so, my family and faith community, the Mennonites, had been pioneer colonists on the Ukrainian steppe. They were invited there in the 18th century to settle in Russia's expanding empire. The Germanic Mennonite communities were historically very piously Protestant. Privilege and opportunity brought enormous prosperity as their wheat flowed out of the Black Sea ports of Mariupol, Berdyansk, and Odessa to feed much of Europe. These ports are in the news today, almost every day. But looking back with the Russian Revolution 105 years ago, one of the great breadbaskets of the world had no seed to plant, no horses or machines to plow. Well-to-do Mennonite estate families and agriculturalists were thoroughly looted, hundreds massacred, and many more raped. So with this background, let me reread Agur's second petition, the first part. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily allotted bread, lest I be full and deny you, forget that it comes from you, and then say, who is Yahweh? When there was a short reprieve in this revolutionary violence just over a hundred years ago, our faith community asked, why is this happening to us? A few ministerial leaders were blunt in their assessment. It appears Quote, that we provoked the sword in our pursuit and defense of our wealth. And now that sword has fallen upon us as a people. More specifically, the appetite for land seemed to be insatiable. And the thought that one's greed for more land could possibly arouse the envy of the poor seemed to have occurred only to a very few, one of the ministers at the time argued. The servants on the larger Mennonite estates, and especially the Russian and Ukrainian seasonal workers, were nothing but poorly paid and very often poorly fed workhorses, according to this church newspaper editorial. And when times were good, they did not make the things of God and of their own, uh, they did not make the things of God and of their people, their own. And now, when times are evil, it is not surprising that neither God nor their people make the cause of the former estate owners their own. As you sow, so shall you reap. Another pastor, after roundly critiquing his ministerial colleagues for the conditions that led to decline and unfaithfulness, he too chastised the most affluent. These Mennonites, with their wealth, 
they lived lives that are equally worthless for God and for humanity. End of quote. That's a harsh critique. During a reprieve from the anarchy at this time in 1918, my grandmother requested baptism. She had experienced a peaceful life with plenty, and now as a 15-year-old teen, she knew real fear of death and of rape. I don't know her baptismal verse, but I like to imagine it is this one petition of Agur to God. Feed me with the food I need, for I know if I am full, I will forget that it comes from you and deny you and say, who is Yahweh? This part of Agur's prayer reminds me of Moses' warning to Israel. Do not forget Yahweh when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down. Deuteronomy 8. Agur knew how easy it was to forget Yahweh when one is wealthy. And looking back, it is not surprising for me that the memory of these events from 1918 and 1919 have remained with my tribe, with this next generation of Mennonites in Canada. The memory has helped us to recover parts of our Christian tradition that have always been important, simple living, mutual aid, and generous giving to those in need. Now, Agur's prayer has, uh, in its second request, has one more dimension. Quote, Give me neither poverty nor riches, only my daily allotted bread, lest I be poor and steal and dishonor the name of God. End of quote. Again, I will continue with my biological and faith family history. After three years of civil war and anarchy in Ukraine, and with the blunt imposition of Moscow-directed Bolshevism in the countryside, as noted, there was no seed for planting, let alone machinery or horses to pull a plow. Knowledgeable agriculturalists from the old regime were banned from advising, planning, or rebuilding the agricultural sector. That, mixed with a lack of rain, brought on a large-scale famine in Ukraine in 1921-22. <clears throat> Despite massive international aid to the Soviet Union, some 5 million Soviet citizens starved to death. Quote, the dead lay in the homes, in the fields, and on the roadsides, one Mennonite memoir recalled. Biblical imagery was typically used by Mennonites to frame the horror of these experiences. Here is another memoir. Quote, the four apocalyptic horsemen, war, revolution, hunger, and pestilence, rode through Ukraine. They did not spare our villages. Not only did they ride through, they settled in and made themselves at home for a long stay. Over time, in one form or another, these ghastly knaves occupied most every home. They demanded entrance everywhere, and they spread themselves out. Once they had seized access and moved in, that was the end for the people. Where life once thrust forward and surged not so long ago, all was now motionless and empty. 
where Glee once strolled freely in and out, there was now only wailing and tears. Many a hymn of death was sung in those days, but many could not even afford this final act of love, as modest as it was. End of quote. Food and clothing from uh, Western governments and faith groups, including Mennonites in North America, saved all four of my grandparents from death by starvation in the early 1920s. My grandmother could not speak of these experiences when I, as a child, asked her of her early life. Now, when I read the diary of North American food, the North American Food Relief Director, uh, Christian Crable, <clears throat> I am stunned by his observations. Crable's journals give example after example of deception and pseudophage, even by Mennonite elders and lay ministers, doctors, and the previously wealthy. Speculation and profiteering with goods donated to or purchased from the poor was rampant. Abuse of the program's freight and mailing privileges was observed. Bribes, theft of American Mennonite relief warehouses by local staff. One he calls a bad egg, another not reliable. And one evening saying he does not know whom to trust and reflects that most stretched the truth terribly. And this one, perhaps the worst statement in that journal, the best of the men here, teachers and preachers, say they are compelled to lie and dissimulate. Now, in the congregation of my youth here in Canada, I came to know many of these advisors, and I'm shocked to read this diary. It doesn't seem to fit. It doesn't seem to describe the people I knew and I loved. However, I have also come to understand that severe hunger has an impact on more than just the body. One of the ministerial leaders of the day came to Director Crabill, dejected to tears, begging the American committee not only to feed them, but to help them out of the new Soviet Union in order to stop moral and religious degeneration. It's impossible to stay here and grow in grace, he said. The final report to the North American churches exactly 100 years ago was generous, however. Though many, it says, Cravel uh, uh, reported many had lost the faith. Their moral sensibility was blunted. But when help from America arrived, there were marvelous revivals and conversions. And this brings me back to the part of the prayer of Agur we read a few moments ago. Feed me with the food I need, for I know if I am hungry, I will steal and curse your name. Again, my faith community, three generations later, remembers these events of famine relief, and it has been the driving memory for continued relief work for more than a century. Perhaps Agur's wisdom in this prayer is informed by experiences like those I have described. We really don't know. Where there is hunger, though, and extreme poverty, um, it seems Agur knew how tempting it was for otherwise good people to dishonor and steal, to dishonor Yahweh's name by being careless about his laws, one of which is not to steal. 
This story also illustrates the first request in Agur's prayer. Quote, remove from me falsehood and lying. Agur, above all else, desires to be a person of truth and integrity. His prayer, only three verses in length, may rightfully be compared to the Lord's prayer. Uh, Just give us enough to live each day. These are historical memories and hard lessons learned by a people otherwise committed to be salt and light as pious followers of Jesus. The pitfalls around wealth and poverty are enormous and they're so hard to navigate. And the impact of failure on individuals and on community witness can be significant. History doesn't repeat itself, but it can rhyme. Just think last summer, many of us felt a new era of social, civil, and racial unrest was dawning, certainly in the United States and perhaps in Canada too. It reminds me at least faintly of my family history in Ukraine. Stable political arrangements are rarely permanent. Things can unravel as they did just over a hundred years ago. Perhaps your family and church family come with similar kinds of stories. I've heard some from certain Chinese and Korean brothers and sisters that are similar. Also some from the Congo. The majority of Christians in Canada from my denomination and likely your cluster of sister churches are also among today's privileged. Many many are descendants of colonists with access to land and bank loans and other privileges, while others uh, are suffer from policies that work to remove indigenous peoples from their lands and their culture. These proverbs promise, however, to guide our generation too with our challenges and responsibilities. We must do this well to be the faithful church, especially, for example, with the calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. For all of these reasons and more, the three verses that make up the prayer of Agur have become my favorites over the past decade or so. I think there are echoes of this prayer in the New Testament too, especially in Matthew and James. And as I have shared, the prayer rings true and resonates with the deepest stories that I carry with me and for the hopes I have for the next generation leaders in church and society who come through Tyndale. Let's pray once more the prayer of Agur as our closing prayer. Lord, two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily allotted bread, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is Yahweh? Or lest I I be poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. Amen.